Welcome to the Yogi MD podcast. It's Nadine, yoga teacher, health coach, and retired doctor, here to bring you and your body together, not in sickness, but in health. Thanks for taking this time for yourself. Anything you get really, really great at, whatever the hobby is, whatever the profession is, you reach a point of literacy where you start to have your own unique way of doing things because no two people have ever come from the same exact set of circumstances. I am talking about the willingness to be seen as who I really am. I think that is a distinguishing characteristic of really masterful speakers. If you get too far into your head and you worry about it being perfect, you'll you won't you won't dig deep enough into your heart, which is the which is the part that you can't you can't edit heart in. And there's something about taking what we don't really understand or what we love or what we appreciate and externalizing it that we ask we ask questions through our art together collectively. And that art is this process of cohesion. It's an alchemy that takes place in art. Why do we love stories? What makes storytelling so powerful? For the next four episodes, we take a look at how the art of storytelling connects us, a connection which is integral to our well-being as humans. We will look at storytelling from the perspective of four creative professionals, drummer Tim Buell, speaker Catherine Johns, writer Randy Heller, and artist and writer Arlette Manassi. Today my guest is Tim Buell, Nashville-based drummer. I have the pleasure of knowing Tim because he is my drum teacher right now. And I've been following Tim on Instagram for quite some time, not knowing that we would sometime connect. Thank you for being here today. Absolutely. That's the great thing about the internet. People can follow and and that's one of the things I love so much. I met so many when I was touring full time, I met so many people on the road that I would ne- I would never see ever again, but I follow them on Instagram, I keep up with them. So anytime I do, you know, even if it's 5 years from when I met them, I feel like we haven't missed a step. So that's one of the good things about social media. Yes, absolutely. So why are you so passionate about music? What made you pursue this line of work? Yeah, um, I guess I'll give you a little bit of my backstory. So I started playing when I was 10, uh, playing drums, that is. I played violin a year before that, and violin was kind of, I started playing through my school. I realized I love music, but it wasn't until I saw someone playing drums that I was like, I want to try that. And then from then, it was kind of like the first day I got my real drum set, I practiced for like six hours straight until my parents were like, you have to stop. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, I, I started getting, I taught myself for a while, got private lessons, um, took that really seriously. Then I went to um, college for music. I studied, I got a degree in, I, I think they technically call it commercial music performance. I toured for several years, played with a lot of bands, um, bands like Remedy Drive, Gloriana, Janet Kramer, artists, country artists, and a lot of CCM Christian artists. It was crazy, but, you know, then I 
kind of wanted to be home a little bit more. So I kind of switched over to now what I'm doing is a lot of studio work from my home studio. Um, I do occasional touring still, but you know, it's mostly studio work here. And then I create a lot of online drum content, like eBooks, courses, videos, transcriptions for myself, which you can go to timbulemusic.com and check out all that stuff. Um, and then I, I also make a bunch of educational resources for other content creators. I help them with their websites and their courses and their eBooks and their, all of that stuff. Um, so I, I do all that. I also transcribe a bunch of drums, which transcription is the act of hearing a drum solo or a drum part and then notating what it is on paper. I do a lot of that for brands like Vic Firth and Zildjian and so then on top of all of that, the easiest places you can find me on the internet to, if any of this is interesting, is I have a podcast it's called Your Good Get Better. Um, I have an Instagram, at Tim Buell, and then I have a YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Tim Buell. I didn't know before we met that you had the podcast. And so it was after I started taking lessons with you that I started to explore the podcast and listen a little bit more. And some of the episodes have been really striking. The most recent one I listened to was the one where you talked about your biggest fails, which is not something that a lot of people do. So I really admired that. And I also found the one with you and Steven Taylor, who was a previous guest on the podcast, talk about what a revolutionary, or for me, what was a mind-blowing concept, which was to take the exact same drum kit and have the two of you play it, the same music. And it's unbelievable how your personalities were expressed. I want to touch upon this a little bit later when we get into our discussion, but it's almost like the thought I had when I was listening to it is that music is a form of honesty. It's like you can't, you can't lie. This was part of the inspiration for my wanting to have you on here to talk about the power of storytelling with music. And I think even if you're not a musician, you can appreciate how it is a language where we don't need words. And it's, it's a way to connect. And it's a way to really be yourself and be yourself with other people. Totally. So can you please tell us, how does music tell a story? When you're playing music, they're really, and you're doing it with any kind of... Um, true expression. So when you just learn an instrument, all you're doing is mimicking and playing the exercises you've worked on and all of that stuff. But when you reach a point in musicianship, whether you play an instrument or you sing or whatever, it becomes that it's exactly, it's not exactly, but it is a lot like the spoken language where at first when you're a child, you can't speak at all. And then you learn kind of things that you mimic back and you have no idea what they mean, but you've heard your parents say it a hundred times. So now you're going to say it. Um, and then you get a little bit more advanced and you start having these phrases that you can, you kind of know what the phrases mean, but you have a hard time stringing together all of the phrases, you know, cause you don't necessarily fully understand why people say this at a certain time and why people say this at a certain time. And, and then you learn more about your language and eventually you transition from mimicking and, you know, kind of just copying what people are doing around you. And that's even true of your opinions. You know, at first you have a political or religious opinion because of what everybody around you says, and you just kind of copy that. And then you reach a point where you hopefully start thinking for yourself and you say, oh, okay, actually 
this is what I believe. And I think that musicianship is the same exact thing. You reach a point in your playing where, and, and this is true of cooking. We, we've talked a lot about how you love cooking. This is true with anything you get really, really great at, whatever the hobby is, whatever the profession is, you reach a point of literacy where you start to have your own unique way of doing things because no two people have ever come from the same exact set of circumstances. Do you find it easier for you to express yourself via the spoken word or via your music? Or is it just different? I like to look at them as all accomplishing different things. So with music, you can't be... The reason I don't necessarily think that you can communicate a lot through music, but I don't necessarily call it a language because it's not terribly specific. So with language, I can specify up to a certain page in a word that I want you to read off of that page. Whereas music, it's a lot broader And I think the beautiful thing about music is that two people can hear a song and you might hear it and think, wow, that makes me so depressed because it reminds me of such and such and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And I might hear it and say, wow, I, I loved it so much because it did make me sad, but in a sad kind of way that reminds me of this time Uh, in my life or something like that. So it's the same with film. It's the same with art. And there's a certain amount of, I have solo drum instrumental project songs that I put out every now and then on Spotify. And, you know, when people listen to those, there's, it's all instrumental. So I do think that they communicate something, but what, I mean, it's totally up to the listener and how it hits them. Whereas with language, a podcast, for instance, you can be a lot more explicit with, what you're trying to talk about and how you're trying to talk about it. And I think both are really, really important. There are times when I want to listen to something and interpret it how I want to interpret it. And there are times, which is music, and there are times when I want more specific feedback and I want more direct communication. And that's when I would listen to a podcast or watch a YouTube video. I hear you, but I'm going to push back just a little bit, though. We're both married. And so I'm sure you could think of several examples where you and your wife, and I can think of several examples where my husband and I are sitting around. We think we're having the same conversation. We think we're using the words that are clearly expressing what we're thinking to the other person, but the interpretation doesn't land so well. I think language can be difficult. And to your point, music satisfies this deep-seated need. At least it does for me where we don't necessarily have to have that confusion. It doesn't have to be complicated. It can be easier. Yeah, I would say that, again, like, and I think it's all semantics. I really don't care whether it's people call it language or whatever, because a lot of people call music language. Mm -hmm. It's all semantics. But I do think that if you look at the technical definition of language, it's the system in which people in a culture communicate. Like you're saying, like, I mean, there's a lot of books I've read that are saying the same words as... You know, everybody that reads them is reading the same words, but people are getting very different things from those words. Mm. In life in general, I think there's a lot more gray than there is black and white, which as humans, we are people that need to categorize things and put them and organize them. And so it's really tough for us when someone says, well, I don't, I don't know. What does the song mean to you? We don't like that because a lot of us are seeking, uh, well, no, no, no. I just want to know what the song is about. It's like, well... <laughs> It might not be that the song is about anything other than however however it hits you. 
Would you say that there are key components to writing a song so it does tell a clear story? Or at least what the artist is trying to convey? I think honesty is really important, whether you're talking or making music. To your point earlier, you know, there's a lot of people that are trying to, in music, they're trying to, you know, John Mayer has an amazing lecture that he gave at Oxford, I believe, or Harvard, or some like Ivy League school. He gave an amazing kind of masterclass about songwriting. And he makes this point of, and I'm going to butcher it, so don't quote me, just go find the thing and listen to John Mayer do it. But he talks about how, you know, he, he hears so many early songwriters writing about the knight riding the horse and the armor and the, and all of these kind of like vivid pictures of air quotes, poetic things. And he's like, but you've never experienced any of that. That's not anybody's reality. Write about something, you know, that Mm -hmm. is what is going to kind of cut to the heart of, whoever's listening. And I think that like Taylor Swift is an amazing example. Even if you don't like Taylor Swift's music, which I love her music, she has been amazing at her whole career writing songs that connect with people. And it's not because she's writing these, some of them are hyperbole. So they are about fairy tales or whatever, but there's a, all of it is so much tied to her experiences So we're connecting with authenticity is what you're saying. We're connecting to that honesty and that integrity when we're listening to the music. Exactly. Because I think that so many people think that, oh, well, yeah, I think that the the greatest artists we've ever had and listened to in music are people that have just gotten the most in tune with who they are and what they're about, you know, and I can, so when I was touring, most of the touring that I did was with country artists where again, nothing wrong with country music, but I don't love it. There was always a very nerdy drummer side of me that was never going to get fulfilled from playing the country music. That's not country music's fault. (laughs) That means Mm -hmm. I need to find an outlet for that. And it wasn't until I said, okay, so what if I don't just decide to tour because Nashville, a lot of the music business in air quotes that happens here is the touring world. And most of that, not all of it, but most of it is country artists. So I said, well, what if I don't resign myself to just play country music? Cause that's what's here. And I try to kind of chart my own path and I'm now much happier than I ever have been as far as music goes. And I'm more inspired than I ever have been. And I think I'm putting out much more beneficial things into the internet, into the world in regards to music now more now than ever before, because I just kind of got closer to who I was at my core, which wasn't a drummer who just wanted to play country music and was going to be happy with that. It was a drummer who had this really huge nerdy side and, you know, not doing something about that, not finding an outlet for that was always going to hold me back. So that's very valuable too. the experience of figuring out what's not for you actually keeping an open mind and trying something and going through that journey and learning more about who you are. Absolutely. So that you can be more honest in your music. Absolutely. And, you know, I had a teacher, Chester Thompson, he's played drums for Phil Collins and Genesis and Frank Zappa and all these incredible artists. And um, he had this thing that he would always say, 
he, he would say, you know, if someone's hired me to play music, I don't give myself the luxury of having an opinion about it. I think that that's really important as a professional because, okay, you don't like the music, but you still got hired to play it. And then from a kind of personal standpoint, there was all, even if I was playing music that I really didn't like, there was always something about the music to like. And I think that that's really important in communication language as well is finding something in, you know, we live in a time right now where everybody is just really a huge fan of hating and outlawing one side or the other. And I'm not saying everybody's right, but what I am saying is that, again, there's a lot of black and white being thrown around when really most of life is gray. Even some of the worst people I've met personally in my life, there were times when I was around them where I was like, "Ah, they weren't that bad tonight, right? So everything is always with as much as you might hate about this person or that person or this person's music or this person's music, what is there that you can get from it that might be good? So all of this, you know, music that the country music I was playing that wasn't my favorite music ever, a lot of times the drum sounds that they were recording were amazing. Or, you know, like, wow, this song is kind of goofy, but that guitar solo is amazing. I wonder who played that guitar. Um, I think that And it's the same in a conversation. I think if more of us, when we're having a conversation with someone who we disagree with, instead of saying like, well, what can I throw back in their faces to try and win this argument better next or whatever, instead of having that thought every time they're speaking, we could say, wow, is there a common ground where we can both find something we agree about? And, or is there you know, for the 80% of what they're saying, I disagree with. Maybe there's a 20% that you actually do agree with. And maybe you agree to disagree, but then you walk away realizing, oh, wow, people that believe that also can believe this. So maybe they're not pure evil (laughs) or something. (laughs) So what you're really talking about, what I hear is empathy. That's screaming loud and clear, at least my interpretation of what you're saying. And so I wonder for you, what came first, the chicken or the egg kind of idea? Was it that you learned more empathy through having the experience of playing music that you really just have to gut the rule because you're just saying to yourself, God, if I hear that lyric one more time, but you need to find a way to get through it. So you go, okay, is there something I can appreciate here? Or do you think that you are already that type of person and you're drawn to that? Absolutely not. I learned 170,000% of the empathy I have from a few key people around me. So my wife is definitely one of them. Again, she is probably the most empathetic person I've ever met going to study to be a counselor. And then there are a couple friends that I met in college that really showed me what modeled empathy um, because it is the opposite of whatever I come by. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, well, I may be doing a good job talking about it now. There are a lot of times in my life where I am not displaying any empathy at all. And I think we always are. I think empathy is very, very, very difficult because it does cause you to set down your thing for a second and say, well, but how might they see it? And see, this is where the practice of empathy gets really tricky. Practicing it enough where you can stop yourself in time or be in the moment and realize before you make a snap judgment. I'll give you an example. Plenty of people have road rage, okay? You drive 
any major expressway in the city. And there's road rage to go around a plenty. And what I've noticed is my impatience too. I'm not a road rager, say, like my dad, but I definitely have my moments where I feel this intense impatience or flash of anger, especially if I'm tired. I'm behind someone who's going really slowly, and then you do have a chance to pass that person. If it's an older person who looks afraid, I immediately feel ashamed for having been impatient. But then it's a young person texting on an expressway. Yeah. Hey, it's not just young people that text on expressways, by the way. (laughs) That's no, that's that's true. That is true. I'll give you that. There's a lot of people texting and driving. It is horrifying. I want to get to the point before where before you have that flash of anger, before it's a reaction. And I find that to be difficult. It's very difficult. And I find you, you said it a little bit in there. You said something about you being tired, which I feel like. Yes, absolutely. There's so many times where you react, not you, but all of us, the proverbial you, you react to a situation and then you look back and say, oh, wow, that happened because I was hungry. I was tired. I was whatever. I think we all have kind of our leanings of we're more empathetic towards these kind of people and not empathetic towards any of these people and all that stuff. So it is our work to figure out how to just foster more empathy in general. So we've talked a little bit about how as an artist, through the medium of music, you can communicate with your audience and how we as listeners can interpret. However, we need to interpret that song and it leads to maybe some emotions. How do you think music conveys emotions or evokes emotions in a listener? I I think there's a lot. You know, I think a lot of people are listening to lyric first. Uh, and I, like, I think it's important to realize that people listen to music very, very, very differently. Everybody has trained themselves to listen into that song certain things over others. So I'm a drummer. I've spent most of my life training at getting better at rhythm, getting better at drums. Now when I transcribe, I've trained myself how to, in a song, pick out what the drummer is doing and write it down. So... When I hear a song, the rhythm and the percussion and all of that stuff is actually louder to me than someone else listening to music because I've spent my time focusing on those elements of music. I guarantee piano players hear piano louder. All genres of music convey certain they can convey certain emotions. So a really, really good example is Christmas music. When you hear Christmas music, it just makes you think of a certain, your living room with the tree and the presents under it, or you know the cookies you have every morning on Christmas or whatever. It just transports you there. And Christmas music largely has a bunch of strings, has things like sleigh bells, which you don't usually hear in a lot of other Mm -hmm. music. So Mm -hmm. there's certain kinds of, and there's certain harmonic structures of those songs that when we hear all of those things in one piece of music, we think Christmas. There's culture. Certain art comes out at particular times Mm -hmm. because of whatever's around it. And even just that sound, like a lot of 90s rock music, 
you can play and instantly, even if I've never heard it before and I don't know the artist. We know it's from the 90s. Yes, because everybody sounded like Pearl Jam. Exactly. There is some kind of overall, well, this sum total of these instruments with this kind of mixing and this kind of this thing. This is how that kind of stuff makes you feel. And a lot of that for us is nostalgia. That ties us to a certain era in our life. Mm. So not only do we express ourselves through music, not only do we communicate to the listener, not only does the listener then interpret, but say there's a band or an ensemble of musicians. There's communication amongst the members of that band or ensemble, which is critical to being able to honor the expression of that song. How does that happen? There's a, there's a lot of ways that communication between musicians can happen. When you've reached playing enough shows, there is a certain experience factor that you cannot teach in school because a lot of it is exactly this kind of nonverbal communication hmm. that happens. So in Nashville, it's very common to play a show where you've never rehearsed at all and the show's 20 songs and you've never met any of the musicians you're playing with. Oh. So in that moment, there's going to need, no matter what, even if the show goes great, there's going to need to be a lot of communication on stage. Like a good example is when some tracks just fade out, right? When you listen to a song, sometimes they just fade out. There's no real ending. So as a musician, when you go to play it live, if you haven't rehearsed and everybody forgot to kind of ask like, hey, when uh, when are we going to end this song? Because it just fades out on the record. <laughs> sometimes you'll find yourself kind of getting to the last course of that song and then realize like, oh shoot, this recording only had a fade out. <laughs> and that's a moment where you're almost done with the song so it's not like you can stop and discuss it and then figure it out. So that's mm -hmm. a moment where I would look up and kind of make eyes with everyone and say, give, <laughs> give them some kind of head nod or whatever of like, hey, follow me. And then we'll be playing this outro. And there's a certain way that you can, whether it's eye communication or a lot of times like I'll play a, uh, a teacher of mine used to call it a stupid drum fill which is like a very obvious drum fill that like, hey, we are going to end this song right now. <sighs> okay, okay. So like a common phrase, something that a lot of people would recognize sounds like an ending. Yeah, a lot of people would recognize it or just based on the eye contact I gave you right before I started this fill, unless you're not paying attention, this is obviously where I'm about to end this song. So let's all do it together. To your point earlier, much earlier in the conversation, we had expectations. We want something out of music. And maybe one of those things is comfort. Maybe one of those things is reliability, relatability. That's why I've read this plenty, where musicians feel very frustrated because they want to say Red Hot Chili Peppers, which you and I both love that band. Okay, give it away now. They've played that how many times in their lives? I'm sure they must look at each other like, oh my God, we have to play this again tonight? I wish we could do something a little different. But you can't because the audience wants it. They want it the way they've heard it since the 90s. They want it exactly to sound a certain way. They want to eardrum the part that they love. And now here's a clip from Tim's show, You're Good, Get Better. Tim and Steven play the same groove on the same kit 
with the same sticks and setup and at the same temple. What do you hear? Here's Steven. Why do you think you and Steven interpreted this music so differently? And why are we able to tell? Steven and I also have a podcast episode, one of the first podcast episodes I did, where we talk about our top 10 favorite drummers. If you go back and listen to that episode, and then listen to the episode where we're playing the same grooves, same drum kit, but the performance is different, it'll all make sense. Because I love nerdy drummers that are very, um, I, I guess I could say technical they have very clean execution. And if you look at Steven's favorite players, a lot of them are very groove-based, way less um, technical and more expressive, and but less precise. Steven and I gravitate toward listening to much, much, much different drummers. So our whole life, we have listened to music, and even if we're listening to the same drummer, I might be saying, wow, I love this drummer because he's so clean and precise and blah, blah, blah. And Steven might be listening to that same exact drummer, that same exact performance and saying, man, I, I really wish that he was getting a, he was just a little bit looser and a little bit, um, you know, he was letting the music breathe more or something. So you have those moments over and over and over and over and over again in life. And then you get and sit down to play a drum beat. Well, if, if there's no other music dictating what you're playing and it's just this tempo, this drum beat go, you're absolutely just going to use whatever you prefer and whatever you've spent your time listening to and gravitating toward, you know, because the, the drum groove, booms, gots, booms, gots. Everybody's played that groove. You might think of an ACDC song when you hear that, but I think of this John Mayer song that has it. Well, those are two very different performances of that same drum beat and because of that you're thinking of a certain snare drum tone and a certain hi-hat performance and a certain kick drum aggression that maybe i'm thinking the exact opposite so we just picked two different songs if we had both said hey play this like it was back in black i bet you get a much closer interpretation of what's on the page fascinating thank you so much for a wonderful conversation i've definitely learned a lot I don't think we got too drum nerdy, but then again, this is something that I've really learned about myself and have embraced a lot, is that I find myself, the more I do this podcasting gig, the more I really enjoy connecting with people who are really passionate about and think a lot about something they love doing. Yeah, absolutely. So what is your personal definition of what it means to be healthy? Mm. So my wife, again, she's studying mental health counseling. She's been a very good sounding board for me. I think I'm someone who likes to achieve things and do things. And, and I think because of that, it's really easy for me to 
kind of get caught up in like, well, being happy and being healthy is just like getting stuff done and achieving things and whatever. But I think that, you know, especially recently working from home, kind of developing, charting my own career path instead of doing what most of my peers are doing, which is touring and doing all of that stuff. It's forced me to really look and say like, well, what makes you happy? What does fulfill you? Because at some point it's more than how much money you're earning or what you're doing for a living or what you're achieving. So I think for me, if I have to distill it, it's to be in harmony with myself and the people around me with kind of any situation I'm in. So again, that looks a lot like empathy. It's, it's to factor in that I am not the only person in the world as much as I would like to believe that. And as much as I would like people to treat me as if I were the only person in the world, it's just not the case. And sometimes that means going out of my comfort zone so that I can serve someone else. I used to be a person that didn't sleep eight hours a night because I was like, well, I don't feel tired unless I only got five hours of sleep or whatever. So I get five and a half or six hours of sleep like every night. And, um, then I listened to this podcast. Uh, it was a doctor named Matthew Walker. It was on the Joe Rogan podcast and he talks, he wrote a book about sleep. Um, and he basically changed my life in one podcast. Cause he, there is no scientific research and I might be butchering this, read his book. It's very, very good. But, um, there's no scientific research that says if you're getting less than eight hours of sleep, that you're operating at like maximum capacity. There's, mm. there's never been a study done where someone getting less than eight hours of sleep is performing as well as they could be. People that get less than eight hours of sleep, their chances of heart problems and all mental health problems and all kinds of things exponentially grow because of the lack of sleep. And now it's time for the Mindful Minute. You have a unique voice. Can you learn to love it? Can you learn to accept it? Can you find ways that you can express it? Here's a quote from Dr. Seuss. Be who you are and say what you feel because the ones who mind don't matter and the ones who matter don't mind. I want to thank Tim for the clip from his podcast episode, Drummers Play the Same Groove, Hear the Difference, featuring Steven Taylor. All of the drumming you hear in this episode is his and Steven's. And don't miss Steven's podcast, The Drum Show. To learn more about both drummers, see the links in the show notes. And don't forget, tune in next time for part two with professional speaker and coach, Katherine Johns on the art of storytelling through speaking. Having Nadine as my yoga teacher and I have ADD has helped me slow down, concentrate, and relax. I have found my neck where my shoulders don't from my ears all the time. To learn more and to practice yoga with me, find me at yogimd.net.